You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Hey, good morning. Uh, As Karen said, my name is John Robinson. I'm one of the pastors here at Liberty Church. And uh, let me be another face to welcome you this morning. It's, uh, it's always a joy and, and privilege to bring the Word of God to you. Um, and uh, I'll just amend real quickly something that Karen said. Uh, please don't turn your attention to me. Uh, uh, that just sounds awkward. Let's, let's turn our attention to the Word of God this morning and uh, focus in on that. Uh, and hopefully I will fade into the background of, of, of what God's Word has to say for us. And so uh, I'm glad you all are here this morning. Uh, I'm glad you guys have made it through a a hot week. Uh, It's been a very warm week, and I just want to say, this is what it feels like in Florida nine months out of the year. Um, You you can survive, uh, although it is it is it's ridiculous. It's ridiculously hot, and so um, we've turned the air down just a little bit extra this morning to give you a little bit of relief. So I hope you uh, hope you are cool and enjoying your time here this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, my last two messages that I was able to preach, we were on pages 1 and 2. I was trying to figure out a way to do page 3. Uh, unfortunately, we're just going to be on page 961. That'll just have to do for this morning. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter, first, uh, uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. And as you turn there, uh, I'd like for you to consider um, this this revelation that that I've had recently of um, these words and phrases that tend to to come around, uh, that tend to come around and are uh, popular for time or season. Uh, These phrases come in, this this cultural nomenclature that that resonates in in each society. Uh, Recently, with the resurgence of a very popular uh, 80s-style show, uh, Stranger Things, 80s 80s pop uh, culture and uh, attention has been drawn back to that wonderful decade with teased hair and really, really bright clothes. Um, and, and some of those words that have come back uh, that we've seen uh, maybe are, and you're familiar with, maybe you still use these, these terms like wicked, you know, if you're from Boston, you're like, that's not an 80s term. That's just normal. Like, that's wicked. Uh, tubular, you know, tubular. All right. Um, uh, gnarly. Uh, gnarly seems to have stuck around. I don't know about you guys and our family, like gnarly's, gnarly's a pretty familiar term. But like these, these phrases, these words kind of come into to culture and they seem to permeate and uh, are spread around and are used. And, uh, and these words um, find, they, they sometimes stick, they sometimes don't. Some people try to like create terms. Uh, like even today, some, some popular terms are like lit. And, you're, and some of you are like, No. I'm never going to use that term. Please don't stick. Um, I, I really don't want to, my grandchildren to saying that my meal that I cooked to them was lit. Um, I'm not sure how to use that actually in a probably proper terms. But but these um, these words kind of come around 
and they become very popular. One of, uh, Christendom is not without its terminology. Uh, Christendom is, is not um, immune to trendy vernacular. One phrase that has become particularly dominant in Christian culture, at least over the last, and I wrote down 10 years, and I looked it up, it's actually 20 years. The last 20 years, um, the, the phrase gospel-centered, gospel-centered seems to be on everything, right? We've, we, you, you may have seen this. The, the term gospel-centered is on uh, books, it's on music, it's on curriculum, it's on clothing. As a matter of fact, our bread here is not just gluten-free, it's gospel-centered gluten-free. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's everywhere. And actually, as, as we'll get into today, it actually is gospel-centered gluten-free. But um, you, you can have like one of two like responses to, to these kind of popular terms that kind of pop up. You can, you can be one who like embraces them and, and it's like, uh, yeah, I, yeah, like gospel-centered. I want gospel-centered. I want gospel-centered everything. I want my socks to be gospel-centered, as a matter of fact. Um, so you can, you can desire that, or you can also be the one who um, uh, kind of takes more of a hipster approach and is like, no, I don't use that term anymore. I don't like that. It's, it's overused. It's, it's overpopularized, and I don't, I don't care to use gospel-centered. It's just a trendy term. Um, so you take one, two approaches. You can embrace it or you can kind of reject it. But the fact is this term has, has been, become more popularized and more uh, used as of late for a particular reason. This, so why, what is that reason? What is the reason for this popularizing of the term gospel-centered? Uh, two articles that discuss this um, that I'll point you to, um, one by Tim and it's Chalice, Callies, Chalice. Yeah, I mean, you take your own interpretation of, of his last name. But um, he wrote a uh, he wrote a an, ar- an article called the Gospel Gospel Centered Everything, uh, and also Dane Outlands um, uh, wrote an article. Uh, What's all this gospel talk about? Are two good um, articles if you want to explore a little bit deeper into this trend of gospel centeredness. They both discuss the growing trend, and uh, when you look at their post, um, uh, what you'll see is, is they kind of point out that, that sometimes maybe it's marketing ploys. People get on like this bandwagon of going, hey, it's a popular term. We're going to utilize it. We're going to market it. We're going to make everything that we do gospel-centered, this, this, and this, um, and, uh, and, and that's, that's one reason for that, and the other reason that I, I, I really believe um, this term has become popularized is because teachers and pastors and, and, and people are truly desiring a, a resurgence of Christ being the center of, of everything, of, of the way that we see church and the way that we hear the word of God, the way that we listen to things, to, to put Christ at the center is not just something that is desired, but it's needed. And it's because it's been lost. It's been lost um, culturally. There, uh, Sandy Wilson, um, pastor and teacher, talks about a time that, that he attended a baccalaureate service. And if you're not familiar with the baccalaureate service, it's basically a, a service for uh, typically high schoolers as they near graduation. It's a religious service. It's a Christian service where they, they come and, and they hear the gospel proclaimed 
And at this particular baccalaureate service of his child's graduation, the person speaking uh, at the service was a Jewish rabbi. And he spoke both from the New and Old Testament. And all that he said, Sandy um, would attest, was, was true. It was, it was good. It was, there were right things and things that were beneficial for, for everyone listening. Um, yet, none of those things that the rabbi said involved Christ. Understandably so. Uh, but this service was spe- specifically supposed to be a Christ-centered service. Um, and this trend of, of, of taking Christ out of the center, out of where um, he is rightly and properly uh, needed and desired is, is something that I, I personally feel like um, I've experienced in life and in church um, where we talk a lot about like good morality and, and good uh, things, right things, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is absent. Maybe some of you have had that experience growing up uh, where the gospel wasn't the focus, and maybe some of you um, just need to hear the gospel again. Uh, you need to be reminded and refreshed in the gospel. And maybe some of you who are maybe here for the first time, been brought here by a friend, you have questions you have questions about Jesus. You have questions about uh, why churches should exist. Um, what is your, your hope in all of this? And, and, and our goal and our purpose here today is to share with you the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, the reason why we gather, the reason why we sing, the reason why we preach, and the reason why we truly live, move, and have our being. So this morning... Uh, Let's, let's look at this gospel-centered life um, in 1 Corinthians 15. Look with me now, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. He says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still, are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James Then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but it was the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and also, and so you believed. Let's pray. Father, um, it is by your grace we gather today. This is by your grace we, we have the very word uh, of God that we get to read and, and teach and listen to the word of God. So, uh, Father, we ask that your word would come it would do what it has done from the beginning, that it would bring life, it would bring order to chaos, it would restore and redeem your people. 
by the work and power of Jesus Christ and through your spirit we pray. Amen. This morning, um, we are continuing in our series on doctrine. We're uh, going through what we believe. And, and this gospel, this, this gospelness is one of uh, our, our doctrinal beliefs. We actually are going to cover two doctrinal beliefs this morning that, that go kind of hand in hand. And so although ambitious, we are going to do that this morning. So I'm going to read for you two statements from our doctrinal and confessional statement. Uh, first is titled, The Gospel. And second, the redemption of Christ. So you can read behind me or listen. Uh, this is the gospel. We believe that the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, God's very wisdom. Utter folly to the world, even though it is the power of God to those who are being saved, this good news is Christological, centering on the cross and resurrection. The gospel is not, it, the gospel is not proclaimed if Christ is not proclaimed. And the authentic Christ has not been proclaimed if his death and resurrection are not central. The message is, Christ died for our sins and was raised. The good news is biblical. His death and resurrection are in accordance with the scriptures. Theological and salvific, Christ died for our sins to reconcile us to God. Historical, if the saving events did not happen, our faith is worthless and we are still in our sins, and we are to be pitied more than all others. Apostolic, the message was entrusted and transmitted by the apostles who were witnesses of these saving events. An intensely personal, where it is received, believed, and held firmly, individual persons are saved. That's the gospel. The redemption of Christ we believed that moved by the love and in obedience to his father, the eternal son became human. The word became flesh, fully God and fully human being, one person in two natures. The man Jesus, the promised Messiah of Israel, was conceived through the miraculous agency of the Holy Spirit and was born of the Virgin Mary. He perfectly obeyed his heavenly father, lived a sinless life, performed miraculous signs, and was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead on the third day, and he ascended into heaven. As the mediatorial king, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, exercising in heaven and on earth all of God's sovereignty, and is our high priest and righteous advocate. We believe that by his incarnation, life, death, resurrection and ascension, Jesus Christ acted as our representative and substitute. He did this so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, he canceled sins, propitiated God, and by bearing the full penalty of our sins, reconciled to God all of those who believe. By his resurrection, Christ Jesus was vindicated by his Father, broke the power of death and defeated Satan, who once had power over it, and brought everlasting life to all his people. By his ascension, he has been forever exalted as the Lord, and has prepared a place for us to be with him. We believe that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved, because God chose the lowly things in this world, the despised things, the things that are not 
to nullify the things that are. No human being can ever boast before him. Christ Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. This, my friends, are, is what we believe to be true about the gospel and the redemption of Christ. So in our confessional statement and in our passage today, I'd like for us to look at three points of these truths. Point one, the gospel is the message of Scripture. Point two, the gospel is the message of Christ's redemptive work. Point three, the gospel is the message of humanity's only hope. So let's dig in. The gospel is the message of Scripture. Uh, a little over, let's say, 12 years ago, uh, at my staff um, on church down in Tampa, uh, our pastor asked the question uh, to a number of us in a meeting. He said, he said is, uh, where in the, in the scriptures is the most explicit explanation of the gospel? We discussed this, and um, I made an argument for 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, and, and the reason for this is because 1 Corinthians 15 um, I would say is, is, the, is, is not the, the totality of everything, but it points to everything. As, as 1 Corinthians 15, look at with me in, in verse 3. It says this, For I delivered to you as was of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. He also appeared to 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. This statement that Paul writes to the church at Corinth points to the work of Christ, but the work of Christ in the context of the totality of Scripture. The, the need for uh, the, the context and the totality of Scripture being in the, gospels, in, the, in the gospel message is so very important. What Christ did on the cross and through his resurrection is, is foundational and, and really, I mean, is the cornerstone of everything. Without the context of the Old Testament, the story of humanity and God's redemptive work throughout humanity, the message of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ would not be as full and would not be as brilliant as it is. We need to understand who God is. We need to understand what God has done from the beginning. And we cannot understand that without the, the context of the Old Testament. The scriptures that Paul is referring to here is the totality of the Old Testament. As we looked at, uh, at the fall of man, we looked at Genesis chapter 3. And we looked at Genesis chapter 3 because both Genesis 1, 2, and 3 set up really for us uh, the gospel. They set up for us the gospel. As we pointed out, even in, in Genesis 3, we see the proto-evangelium, which is the first gospel. We see the gospel being preached to us at the fall. God's re historical redemptive plan for humanity began in the beginning and was made explicit in Genesis chapter 3. And so for, for us to understand the gospel, we must understand what God has been doing from the beginning. 
This is vitally important for us to not just see the four books called the Gospels, but to see the entirety of the Scriptures as the Gospel story and the Gospel message. Our uh, doctrinal confessional statement says this about the Gospel. The good news is biblical. His death and resurrection are in accordance with the Scriptures. What was necessary for Christ to accomplish is the story of what God has been talking about from the beginning. We see this uh, in every book of the Bible. It was, it was somewhere in the either early uh, 2000s or late 90s that I heard a song uh, for the first time that really, for me, was, um, it was revelatory for me. Uh, I had not understood the point of of the gospel message being talked about throughout all of Scripture. I I hadn't put the pieces together. It was never explained to me. They were all stories, right, about in the Bible, so I knew that they were important. I grew up in church. I went to Sunday school, right? I went to youth group. I did all of those things, but I... I had very little understanding of the fact that the story of God is one story. It is a, it is a consistent thread throughout all of Scripture. And this, this, um, this song, for me, put all the pieces together. And, and while prepping this sermon, I, I looked up this song because it came to mind as, as I was reading through this. Um, and it hit me in the same way that it did when I first heard it. I literally got like, like crazy goosebumps, because it was one of those moments that like the pieces came together for me. It's, it's a song called He Is by Aaron Jeffrey. Um, and it's not, a, it's not an amazing song, like stylistically, but what it says for me was so, so important. And, and I'll, I'll read some of it for you. And, and this, is, this is, it's a very simple song. He goes through all of scripture. He says in Genesis, he's the breath of life. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he's the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's Israel's guide. In Joshua, he's salvation's choice. In Judges, he's Israel's guard. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is sovereign. And Ezra, he is the true and faithful scribe. And Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of broken walls and lives. And Esther, he's Mordecai's courage. And Job, he's the timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he's our morning song. In Proverbs, he's our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's the time and season. In the Song of Solomon, he's the lover's dream. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the weeping prophet. In Lamentations, the cry of Israel. And Ezekiel, the call from sin. And Daniel, the stranger in the fire. And Hosea, he's forever faithful. And Joel, he's the spirit's power. And Amos, he's the strong arms that carry. And Obadiah, he's the Lord, our savior. And Jonah, he's the great missionary. And Micah, the promise of peace. And Nahum, our strength and shield. And Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he brings revival. And Haggai, he restores that which was lost. And Zechariah, he is our fountain. And Malachi, he's the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. And he goes through the New Testament and Revelation, and I'll read this to you. Um, 
And in Revelation, in the very end, when it's all over, said and done, when time is no more, he is and will always be the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, the Son of man, the Lamb of God, the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega, God and Savior. He is Jesus Christ, the Lord. He is everything that you need. And this song, um, for me, explained and put together, uh, maybe not not the most excellent way, but it really explained for me this consistent theme throughout all of Scripture of, of Jesus being the point on every page of Scripture. He's at the point of every page. He is, he is the story. The gospel story begins on Genesis 1.1. Uh, we understand who God is. In Genesis 3, we see the need for a Savior. And this story is something, this message is something that we, we need to be consistently reminded of when we read the scriptures. Um, we need to be reminded of this consistent theme throughout all of scripture, the way that God comes to redeem and restore rebels is of highest importance. It will take the, the reading of scripture for you when you look and you try to look for the gospel and the way that God is, is working throughout all of scripture from reading stories about God to reading about the story of God and what he has done for his people. As Paul said in verse 3, I have delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. He's the Passover lamb. His resurrection is the sign of Jonah. This message is the totality of scripture, and it's a message of redemption. So our second point this morning, the gospel is the message of Christ's redemptive work. What you will notice when you begin to see God's redemptive historical plan is the Bible comes alive, like I said. It goes from being individual stories to one big story. This is something that we try very hard to emphasize, especially in our children's ministry. Uh, we take our children from movers up through fifth grade uh, through the entire Bible. Um, our, our, by the time that when they come in uh, at birth um, and go through fifth grade, they'll go through the Bible three times. Uh, and they study each week portions of scripture uh, that cover and reveals to our students this Christ connection. Uh, even what they're learning right now in the book of 2 Samuel is about King David. Uh, and their Christ connection this morning is this. When David had sinned against God, God forgave him. But sin always comes with a price. God spared David's life, but David's son died when we sin, we deserve death, but, when, but we can receive God's forgiveness because God sent his son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sin. The redemptive historical work is Christ's work. It's what he has done. The gospel is the work of Christ throughout all of scripture to redeem his people. He takes a people that is far off and he brings them near. This is a work that no one can do on their own. Uh, if we could be saved from sin apart from Christ's work, then the cross would not be necessary. When Jesus was in the garden asking the Father if he would take this cup, this cup of punishment, this cup of sin from him, and asked if there was another way, 
The answer was no. There is not another way. It was a necessary thing for Christ to take on the cross, to take on our sin, to be beaten and punished on our behalf. He took this on himself because there was no other way for his people to be redeemed and restored, which for us needs to be the freeing thing. It needs to be the thing that frees us from this attempt to earn God's, God's approval. The freeing thing that, that we are never going to be enough on our own. Without Christ, we cannot stand before God. Again, 1 Corinthians, Christ died for our sins. And he was raised from the dead. Our our confessional statement says it like this, we believe the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, God's very wisdom, utter folly to the world, even though it is the power of God for those who are being saved. This good news is Christological, centering on the cross and the resurrection. The gospel is not proclaimed if Christ is not proclaimed And the authentic Christ has not been proclaimed if his death and resurrection are not central. This work of Christ without the cross and resurrection, the message of the gospel would be incomplete. The message of the gospel would be incomplete. And when we talk to friends, we talk to family about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, We must talk about the cross. We must talk about the resurrection. Because without those things, we're not preaching the true, authentic Christ. So we need to mention the cross, the scandal of the cross, the fact that you and I are hopeless without Christ. In the redemption of Christ, We see that this is obedience to God, what Christ has done. So praise be to God that Jesus, God of God and light of light, would condescend, would come down, becoming his creation, live the life that we could not live, and die the death that we should have died. He gave us right standing before the Father that we might be called the sons of God. This, my friends, is the redemptive work of Christ which leads us to our final point this morning, which is the fact that the gospel is the message of humanity's only hope. Despite what any Star Wars fan would tell you, Obi-Wan is not our only hope. It's sad for some of you, I know, I'm sorry. Our only hope is Christ, which is why the resurgence of gospel sitterness is so important for the church today. The message of the gospel that Christ has come to redeem his people and be with them, restore them and redeem them, sanctify them and bring them to glory is a picture of the relentless love that God has for his people. This love that from the beginning God has displayed and until eternity future will continue to display to his people. This message is filled with hope. And we truly, when we truly understand the, the totality of, of the, the gospel message, we, we, as we covered a couple weeks ago, talking about the fall, um, 
our state is, is dark. It is, it is black. It is, it is Vanta black. And if you've not, you don't know what Vanta black is, Google Vanta black. It's, an, it's incredible. Uh, it is the blackest black. It, it actually consumes light. It's so black. So this backdrop of, of, of complete and utter hopelessness, this dark backdrop, this hopeless this hopelessness um, is our state. It is our state as humanity without Christ. It is not somewhat hopeful. It's not moderately hopeful. It's not, it's not like, hey, you know, maybe you'll be good enough. Like, what, what, you'll have conversations with folks and, and uh, you'll ask them, hey, you know, do, do, you, do you think you'll go to heaven? Do you think I'll go? Yeah, I, I, I think I'll go to heaven. I think I'm, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. That's hopefulness, that you're a good person, right? That, that God, when God sees you, you are, you know, not the worst thing in the world. Maybe not, definitely not the best thing in the world, but somewhere in the middle, right? I always use this picture of like the scale of like, yeah, in my life I've done good things, I've done bad things. The reality is that the, the scale is tipped extremely and completely in the opposite direction, friends. If you're here this morning and you, you do not know Jesus, I, I, want to, I want to give you the good news. The good news of Jesus is that you are not good. You're not good. You, ha, you are hopeless without the work of Christ. When you stand before God, he will not see someone that, that is decent, a human being, who's who's morally okay. If you have committed but one sin, the penalty is death before a righteous and holy God. And your only hope, your only hope in all of eternity is what Christ has done completely and fully for you in the, in the redemptive work on the cross and in the resurrection from the dead. That is your only hope. Do not bank eternity on you doing good stuff. That is, that is a fool's wager. If you want to see the, the, the weightiness of like hopelessness, there was a funeral that we did at our church for a firefighter. We, we were the only church in town that, that could hold enough people for, for a, a firefighter's service. He died suddenly. He was still in the line of duty. And his, his new wife... Um, I have not heard wails and cries that filled the entirety of this sanctuary before. This hopelessness was, was the epitome of, of her cries. There was no hope for him in the future. There was no hope for her even in the future. There was, there was this hopelessness of of death being final. And friends, without Christ, death is final, fully and completely apart from the presence of God. And my desire for you is that you not spend eternity away from God, feeling the wrath of your sins for, forever and ever, but that you would come into the presence of God, that you would be welcomed, not as someone who was far off, but that you'd be welcomed as a son or daughter of God, because in Christ Jesus, you are made a son or daughter of God. So come to him.
come to him with open arms that you might receive him and take on from him his righteousness. He takes your sins. He gives you his righteousness. This is redemption to make something that was broken whole. This is the work of, of Christ. It is our only hope. It is the only hope we have. It is the only hope we need. Let's pray. Father, you give us hope. You are, you are working. You are working to restore and redeem your people. You have done this by the finished work of Christ on our behalf. And you give it to us freely. How gracious you are to us. So as we come now, let us repent and let us receive your grace that is given to us freely by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.